Field and Company NFL insider, Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk, joins us now. All right, plenty of football talk coming up here in just a second. want to remind you to listen to hours one and two of the show. Esportsnetwork.com is where you can find the archives. We've been doing a lot of video archives of the show as well. So check out our Twitter accounts and up on Facebook. We talked to Albert Hall in the middle hour of the show. And NBA Summer League's coming. Summer League is here, July 7th to the 17th. Grab your tickets now at UNLVTickets.com. You can also win tickets by getting in our drawing for lots of them, but we'll have uh, packs of two tickets at LVSportsNetwork.com. Register to win, and uh, you get a chance to win two tickets in the uh, Michelob Ultra Courtside Lounge. Miles Simmons is in. What's up, Miles? Hello, gentlemen. How are you? We're good. We're good. Um, You know, it's weird here. We're going toward a record of not having a 100-degree day, believe it or not. We're over 260 days without what? a 100-degree day. Yep. It's crazy. I it's know. It's the middle of June already. It's, you know, I, I keep, you know, I've been telling people, and, you know, it's not like a, you, know, you can't get this information, but it's I, the, the city feels like it's become, the area feels like it's become more moderate over the years. And right now mm. we're in this weird zone where it hasn't hit 100. Uh, so being in the backyard or going to a, a cookout is a lot easier now, even with the hot grill. And I saw you tweeting. You were reacting to uh, someone, I assume her name or the name is Naima, um, talking about cookouts, but also music at cookouts, huh? Yes, yes, music at cookouts. And it's funny because they were doing uh, like a Juneteenth celebration yesterday at the Greek Theater here in Los Angeles. And I FaceTime with my mother on Monday nights. And so we were sort of watching it. And not sort of, we actually were watching it, but like, uh, oh gosh, the guy from the Gap Band, who Charlie Wilson mm. came on and he was singing Outstanding. And mm. I said to her, I'm like, you know, this is the ultimate cookout song to me. Like, it just sounds like somebody is at the grill. You know, they got on the man sandals that look like somebody is at the grill. You know, he's got on the chef hat or whatever. And everybody is just like, oh, when they hear the song, either they get up or they're vibing in their seats. And mm-hmm. it's just, to me, outstanding by the Gap Band. That is like the quintessential cookout song. Really? If I'm hosting a cookout, yes. If I'm hosting a cookout, that is something that I'm going to put on the playlist for sure. 100% correct. Thank you. Now, here's my question. You, I, I've, I've been listening in the mornings to the boys, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. The big conversation for the last six weeks was whether or not you'd rather be at a barbecue or a cookout because there's a difference in there their is. eyes, and there's a it's been a very big debate, and, they, and they've been trying to break down the differences. Do you have a preference? You're obviously calling. You've said cookout several times. Yes. Well, that's because that's what I'm imagining. A cookout is more, you know, like it's the 4th of July. It's more like a kickback, right? A barbecue to me is you're cooking specific thing. Like if you're not cooking some sort of pork at a barbecue, then that's not really a barbecue to me. We need ribs. We need, you know, some sort of pulled pork. We need some like all kinds of more elements that have to do with like sausages, things like that. Right. But a cookout, that's burgers that's maybe it's somebody's birthday and it's early summer or whatever. Like there's maybe a pool, like a barbecue to me is more an event that's centered around the food. A cookout is just an event that happens to be outdoors and it's in the summer. You do realize if you use the term barbecue for one of these events, you're pissing off people in Kansas city because I've gotten my head ripped off. Yeah. I'm getting, I've gotten my head ripped off before and they're like, yeah, it's not called a barbecue. That's a style of food. Call it something else. Oh, 
I know. It's okay. weird, right? I, I didn't know that. I mean, yeah. as, as somebody who frequents Kansas City and, like, is a big connoisseur of their barbecue, I didn't really realize that. Well, maybe... Okay, so barbecue is a type of food and a cookout is an event. I actually, yeah. I, I subscribe to that. I like that. Really? We, we used, I, I'm trying to think back when, when back in the early 90s, back in the day, and whoever was hosting it, like the fellas, and then everyone would come through. I can't remember distinctively saying barbecue or cookout. You know what we would say? Hey, where's everybody going? Oh, we're going through to Willie's. Okay, he's grilling. You would just say you were grilling. Yeah. You were grilling. But I but you're, I like your breakdown, your assessment, because a cookout means it sounds more like a potluck, and someone is mistakenly bringing the damn potato salad with raisins that nobody eats. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but yeah. the barbecue means that someone put their time and effort. They massaged the meat the night before. Yeah. There, there's seasonings yes. involved. There's, there's rubs involved. There's, yes. t- there's love and time mm-hmm. within the. You're right. You got to have a little pork. Got to have a little flavor. You got to have a little this, a little this, a little pip, pip, pip. Yeah. But the cookout, mm-hmm. eh, it's like, yeah, you bring this, you bring that. He's bringing this. Someone's bringing that. Oh, someone's cooking. Okay, we'll know to put that at the back of the table. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I think that that makes a, a, a lot of sense. And you know what? I shouldn't have just said like a barbecue can only be pork because people like- No, it has to include it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I yes. Yes, it, it does. You know, to me, know. it does because pork is the quintessential barbecue meat. But you know, there are people that do brisket really well. It's not my favorite. You know, chicken. And one of my buddies like actually- a little, uh, I don't know, a summer or two ago, made some of the best dry rub wings I've ever had in my life. I, I it was, they were phenomenal. I'm like, dude, I didn't even know you could cook like this. And he had one of those green eggs and you smoked them or whatever. I mean, it was, I still dream about those wings. So I guess there can be other foods there at the barbecue. Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk. We've ruffled some feathers, so we need to apologize to Kansas City. We, with all the swine talk, we need to apologize to uh, Ari. He's been uh, making faces over there. He doesn't dig on swine. Sorry, Ari. Um, those are real apologies. I really meant those. Uh, Derek Carr <laughs> does does he need to apologize to the Raiders fans and say like I didn't, I wasn't there mentally or I kind of fell apart. I don't know exactly what he was saying, but like Derek, you move on, bro. You don't need to apologize. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure what he was saying either. I mean, they they didn't get my best. I'm like, what is that? I mean, of course they didn't because he was not really put in the best situation, right? I mean, he had to learn a new scheme, new playbook. The the Raiders have sort of been off and on trying to get rid of Derek Carr for years, right? Since I covered the team day to day back in 2019. And there were those questions coming off 2018 with uh, uh, John Gruden. And then every year, you know, we, when it was the Mayock Gruden era, it was, well, are they going to do something else? Are they going to maybe try to get Kyler Murray? Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? So this whole thing of Derek Carr having to leave the Raiders did not surprise me um, when it came up this offseason. So I, I don't know, like, or I guess really it should be at the end of the regular season because he got benched so that, you know, the injury guarantee wouldn't kick in. So I, I'm just not sure exactly what he's apologizing for. Like, yeah, they didn't get his best, but I mean, it, was, it wasn't necessarily set up for him to really succeed and to be all that great, you know? I mean, yeah, they gave him Devontae Adams, but let's not act like the scheme was perfectly set up for Derek Carr when it it's Josh Daniels. I don't know. It just it, it, that it doesn't surprise me that Derek Carr even says something like that, though. Though, and I and I think that that's kind of the kind of person that he is. Um, you know, he wants to take responsibility publicly and all that, and I think that that's fine. But you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's time we move on. 
Well, and in the next breath, Miles, uh, he's very complimentary, or he's he's been out there speaking about the culture change, and the Saints have been complimentary about this. But let's face it, when everything's peaches and cream, Derek Carr's always providing lip service, right? I mean, he's always talking about culture. When things are nice, Derek Carr's nice. Well, yes, but I, I, I would go back to 2021, and you know I wasn't there day to day, but from afar, it, it looked like Derek Carr was doing a damn good job of leading that team through some really, really turbulent waters, and I, I think that that is commendable. You know, the fact that they went to the playoffs and he played in his first playoff game for the first time in his career, right? And he gave the Cincinnati Bengals, who ended up winning the AFC, all that they could handle for four quarters. So I. I don't think that I, I hear you and I, and I do agree with you to a point, but I, I do think that there is something to be said about Derek Carr's leadership. Now, this also kind of reminds me when we're talking about leadership and quarterback going to a different place and everybody's like, oh my gosh, this guy is a great leader. La la la. I mean, there's good examples of that. You know, when you get like a Tom Brady and I'm not comparing Derek Carr to Tom Brady, but like that's somebody that can come in and immediately change a culture. Right. And then on the other side of that, you see Russell Wilson and everybody sings Russell Wilson's praises during the offseason and he comes down and he pees down his leg, right? And Or Matt Ryan in Indianapolis. I don't know how many reports I saw out of Indy last year, like singing Matt Ryan's praises. Oh my goodness, the tempo of practice is so much faster because Matt Ryan's doing this and he's doing that. And he was God awful during the regular season last year. He got benched twice, okay? And once for Sam Ellinger and the other time for Nick Foles. So let's we can all temper our expectations a little bit when it comes to what Derek Carr may or may not do with the Saints. You know, it's funny along the way in, in building a team and you get to a destination and you try to figure out what the hell happened, right? Why you're weak at certain positions. And I'll give you a good example. I don't know that people remember this, but if you go back to the 2018 draft, uh, this has repercussions. When you take Brandon Parker at 65 and Fred Warner goes at 70 and you don't really have a solid linebacker room except for a couple mm-hmm. of fill-ins, that hurts you. And a lot of people probably haven't followed Malik Collins since he left the Raiders, but that didn't work out, and now he's worked out. He's getting pretty big money, but like manageable money, and the Raiders are still looking for those anchors inside. Yeah, there were some really poor draft decisions made, I think we can say, in the Gruden era. I mean, which first-round pick has really worked out? I mean, Josh Jacobs and then question mark, question mark, question mark. I mean, I guess you could say Colton Miller, too. Uh, But other than that, you know, you look at that, those draft choices weren't really that great. Max Crosby, yes, obviously great player. And, you know, you got him in one of the mid-rounds. Hunter Renfro is another one of those guys. If he can stay on the field, pretty darn good player as well. But other than that, I I think you were on to something, Steve. You know, whether it's draft decisions, free agent decisions, they just didn't work out and although you also got to say like some of that's on player and on in the environment and maybe those guys were never going to work out had they been with the Raiders anyway but it's hard not to look at those kinds of situations and say man what if right it's the same thing that Detroit fans always do when they're talking about Aaron Donald because Ebron was the choice once one before Aaron Donald who was coming out of that 2014 draft and Aaron Donald is one of the greatest defensive players we've ever seen and Eric Ebron was nothing but a flame out tight end um, for the Detroit Lions so yeah anytime you can look at that and you look in retrospect and you're like man those are some real questionable decisions there that's not necessarily your favorite thing to do Miles Simmons pro football talk is here with us even during the slower times of the football 
year, Miles is there for us. So we appreciate it, Miles, very much. Um, this is a show that's hypercritical on analysts walking off the field and going on TV. JJ Watt could uh, be going to see, could be, wait, could be going to CB. Uh, man, I expected a different reaction from you, but that whatever that uh, groan was in the background, that's everyone on the show. Really? You too? Oh, God, enough with JJ Watt. Uh, not to, not to Big paraphrase. He's not gonna, uh, to he, paraphrase. Won't be, he won't be Drew Brees. Go ahead and paraphrase. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I was prepared for Stugatz from the Dan Lebertard show, but uh, my gosh, enough with JJ Watt, man. I mean, I've, I, you know, that guy, I mean, he was a great player. Obviously, there are very few players who have ever won three defensive player of the year awards, but that is one of those guys that really likes to hear himself talk. So I guess, you know, that makes you a good TV person. For that makes you Does a good it, TV though? person. Does it? I mean, well, okay. Well, if we're on CBS, I, and Matt Ryan, and speaking of Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan's also supposed to be on CBS. Oh right. boy, you guys, feel the excitement there. Matt Ryan and you know, but let's Matt, be objective. Let's JJ be objective because we can't rip everyone. You're right, Matt Ryan. I don't think he's shown a, like a vivacious personality. I think JJ Watt has potential. And the thing I'm more interested in, and again, I don't want guys to lose their job, but if you watch some of these pregame shows. We got to get a little younger, a little more connected to the game, a little more open to analytics and different coaching styles. And between, you know, I like Cower, but between Boomer and Phil Sims, how many blonde guys do we need who are 58 years old? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. But the only pregame show I watch is Football Night in America. That one comes on, on oh, NBC yeah. before yeah. Sunday Night Football, and that's. I think that's a damn good pregame show. You know? Florio, Florio's so good. I don't know if you know him, but Mike Florio's Flo oh, great. Jesus. Chris Sims is great. Maria Taylor's uh, great. Jason Garrett, the whole crew, baby. Tony uh, Dungy. Let's, mm. give, let's give Pete King a shout out. Um, all right, something to get excited about on TV. <laughs> Netflix has this quarterback thing coming up, a documentary. Yeah. It looks like they followed everyone last year. It's coming out on July 12th. Again, I watched a trailer today. I'm fired up, man. I, Kirk Cousins to me is a fascinating dude. You got you're gonna have the ups and downs of Marcus Mariota, and how much do we get of just the the entire Mahomes clan? Give me Brittany yeah. Mahomes. Uh, <laughs> give me his brother. Give me Jax as much as possible. I love it. I I, I could do without Jackson and and Brittany, but it, it seems like. And I know um, some people who work for the Chiefs in their internal media department, and they were helping out with some of this uh, shooting stuff for the Netflix show. And what's kind of interesting um, is that there were some other bigger named quarterbacks that were in discussions to do this show, but either through the team, they were like, eh, no, and... You know, it, the teams didn't necessarily want them mic'd up at practice or all the access that they may have um, come across from Netflix. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see somebody like Patrick Mahomes, who is the best quarterback in the NFL right now, coming off an MVP season, coming off a Super Bowl MVP, and what it's like to really be that kind of person, right? The Kirk Cousins stuff, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, like... Do we really care about mid-tier and like low-tier quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota? No, I care about maybe I ca people. Do. I care about their life. Yeah. No, that's, that's the whole I thing. Don't. You've got the best. You've got a guy who's top ten, but also I think misunderstood in some ways. And you got Mariota What's who's misunderstood hanging on about Kirk Cousins. He doesn't well, think, do well in pri in like in the biggest games. Come on, What's these, there to misunderstand? Yeah, but these but, shows aren't about what goes on on the field. They're yeah. going to be what, about what goes I on. I know, off the field. but like, okay, but like, what else is misunderstood? Like, you know, he didn't want to get vaccinated, and then he said, like, okay. put me in a bubble or I'm whatever. In. What's I'm misunderstood in. about oh, so that? So now it's coming out what you're really sour about. See, when you when you guys brought I, this no, up, I, I'm, I'm picturing I'm picturing QB one, the show QB one. You know, when it follows 
follow the, yeah. the top three high school quarterbacks of that particular year, and you get to yes. see the them off the field and their family. Like that's, I'm more interested in some of their story life. There are their their, their uh, storylines at home. I I don't know why, Willie, but you know those kinds of things don't interest me as much as the X's and O's of like football and how the strategy stuff of football. And like, yeah, it's cool to see Mahomes off the field and like all that. But I. I don't know, to me, like the day-to-day stuff of, okay, how do you approach a practice? How do you get your body right? How do you, when you're on the field and you're like talking smack to the Buccaneers or whatever team it was, because you basically like do some kind of weird touchdown throw that nobody should be able to do. And like, you go like, oh yeah, I'm like that. Like, that's crazy. And that's really, really cool to me. And that's the kind of stuff that I like to see. So I get that people you know, want to see the off the field stuff. And it's neat that, you know, Mahomes has recently become a father. There are all these other things that are going on in his life. And I guess if you want to talk about Marcus Mariota, like he left the team mm-hmm. for sort of undisclosed, but also not really undisclosed reasons toward the end of the year. They kind of said he had an injury, but also the injury may or may not have been why he left because his knee was hurt and also his wife's having a baby. And it was just sort of a weird, confusing situation. So I am curious to see what kind of <laughs> like it shed on that, but it. Kirk Cousins doesn't really interest me. I, I love it. Uh, two minutes ago, you're like, I just want to know about the field. And then you listed off a minute and 50 seconds of everything That's around not, the no, players. But that's all kinds of on the field stuff. Like that, that, that stuff has more right. to do with like the hey, team than what does Marcus Mariota think of being a dad? Like oh, whatever. Off but, the like, field, why did he leave? Off the field is related to on the field. It always is. You can't separate them. So I look know. at look at some of the you know recent failures. If I go to my team, the Jets between uh, Zach Wilson and Milfs and Mark Sanchez and whatever he was doing, <laughs> and Sam Darnold and Mono. So. I want to know about all that stuff. I want to know Josh about Josh Allen, whatever he's got going oh, on. Oh boy, yeah. oh boy. Yeah, there's 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 a lot more that's going to come out on that one. So, Miles, you are the man. I hope you have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you soon. All right, be good, guys. Profootballtalk.com, profootballtalk.com. Come on, Mahomes with the wife, with the brother, are you having to worry about him all the time. Here's the other thing. This can also be character cleansing or rep cleansing cuz a lot of people out there don't like Kirk Cousins for a, a couple of things He's done and have him branded a certain way. And same thing with Brittany Mahomes. Brittany Mahomes. Maybe this is a way to, hey, you're going to shine a new light on all these people. You get the real side of the story, and they all come out of the show very likable. Keep it locked right here. Cofield and Company will return in minutes on ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, I don't know if every show on uh, or every host on Cofield and Company has had a chance to hit on that Derek Carr apology to the Raiders. A little bit weird. Quote, they just didn't get my best and that drove me crazy at the end of the year because I felt so spread out in so many different ways. I just didn't feel like myself. I feel bad for the Raiders coaches and players. Yeah, you didn't need to apologize. We, we understand what was happening. Um, it doesn't smooth anything over. Uh, because we just mentioned with Miles Simmons, his apology is then backed up by stories in Saints land where they're talking about improved character. And some of it is pointing to Derek Carr's leadership. So, and I'm going I'm to take out the, the rug stuff and the Gruden times, right? Because those are, those are sort of off the field issues. They're not winning and losing. Mm-hmm. And... Derek Carr is a good leader when things are going well. I still think he punches down too often. He pays attention to the media and tweeters too often, right? I don't know if his brothers and, and Derek have blocked everyone in, in New Orleans yet. I hope they hadn't. I hope they learned from here. Don't, don't do that. It's silly. You're punching down. Um, 
But the, the true test of Derek Carr is when losing happens. And you need to bond together a locker room. And when you know people in Saints land, and, De- and Dennis Allen knows him, so we'll, we'll see. He's thrown it out there that, hey, Derek Carr's helped you know, the culture here. We'll see what happens if they run into tough times, if Derek Carr can hold it together and be a leader in the locker room. Because last year, he got frayed. He did. You know, he got upset after the game against the Colts and came in all weepy and then threw Darren Waller under the bus. And, you know, that's part of his legacy at the end with the Raiders. And I would think in Saints land there's less pressure, so that shouldn't happen if they're losing. But we'll see. Not a bad guy. No. But the apology to the Raiders and the fans is unnecessary. Well, and he had already had somewhat of his farewell, whatever he put out, you know, to Raider Nation. Then he got there and did his introductory press conference. Like, at this point – Who's in whose head? That's what I was thinking when I saw that. Like, who's in whose head? Why are why is that still in your head, dude? You've already addressed Raider Nation, thanked them, you moved on, you're moved, you're in New Orleans. It's done. You don't have to do that. Aces tip tomorrow, midday. They're back on the floor on the road. It's a Wednesday game. ESPN Las Vegas having another watch party for the Aces at Buffalo Wild Wings. Tyler Bischoff is going to be on the scene. 12.30 tip. He'll be there from 12.30 to 2.30. It's the West Craig location of Buffalo Wild Wings. Craig and Commerce. Got the lunch specials. You get traditional wings for just 10 bucks. Buffalo Ranch chicken wrap for just 10 bucks. New blazing knockout sauce is worth trying. And uh, the big beers, the 22 ounces, the Wild Heard Kolsch. Again, just three bucks. Watch parties at Buffalo Wild Wings with the Aces are brought to you by Finley, Volkswagen, Henderson. Get out to the Craig location of Buffalo Wild Wings. Bischoff on the road to watch the Aces with ESPN Las Vegas. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. or at ESPN Las Vegas. Time to treat yourself to the best Vegas has when it comes to high-quality meat at Meetup Vegas. You get to enjoy this meat cut fresh and delivered directly from the Las Vegas factory to your door. All the meat is aged to perfection. Trust me, Cofield, try it just once and you will never buy your meat anywhere else. Be sure and try the wonderful Week Pack for just $99. It includes tender fillets, flat iron steaks, juicy pork chops, and chicken breasts. And when I throw these steaks on my grill, they cook to a perfectly flavorful medium rare. To place your order today, go to meetupvegas.com. Hey everybody, Paul Anka here. Hometown boy here to root for the hometown team. A few years ago, I wrote this for Frank Sinatra. Tonight, it's for all of you. Sing along with me, okay? Let's get it. Yes, we're here. We're here to cheer. The cup is near. Our Golden Knights team. The Knights of Chaps. They lit the lamps. Put on the claps. The cats have been ringed. The boss predicts. We'll do it in six. With brains and sticks, the real fit power way. Fast and strong, that is our song. We do it, we do it our way. All right, yeah! That is awesome. He still got it! He still got it! Oh, man. Are you kidding me? Nobody better. Nobody better. What? Hands down. Come on now. This is cool. Man, the Knights touched a lot of people. And when Willie told me about this one, I was freaking over the moon. You talked about it off the air about two weeks ago. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Paul Anka on Cofield and Company with Willie? <laughs> Come on, let's go. Welcome to the show, ESPN Las Vegas. Of course, one of Las Vegas's legends, still doing it, still doing it his way. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to the show. I'm going to, you know, I have to, normally we say full names, but I got to say, I, I, I would not feel comfortable <laughs> just saying, Welcome to the show, Paul. Uncle Paul, welcome to the show. 
<laughs> well, it's good to be on, boys. Thanks for the big intro. Oh, a lot of God. fun writing that. You, you know what? It. You know what? I the, there was the night I, I leave the show. Okay, about a month ago, I leave our show. We're doing it down at the old Continental, which is now Silver Sevens. Everybody's texting me, including your sister, my mother. You got to listen to Jason Bateman's podcast. I listened to it the whole drive home. I loved it so much. I sent you the video, and you text me back. You're in Asia somewhere. Watch it. We're watching the four overtime game together, and from there, we were texting every day over the Stanley Cup. He was one of the first ones in the preliminary round. She goes, Willie, that Vegas team is going to win this Stanley Cup. Really? What did you see? I saw a very fast team. I saw a bunch of young guys, and most of them from Canada, with an executive <laughs> group around them, mostly from Canada, playing old-style Canadian hockey, and that's what it was all about, that original seed of Canadian hockey that never came down to the U.S. That's what you witnessed with a very fast eager and hungry bunch of guys. Wow, look at this guy. I see where you get it, Willie. He's got the <laughs> hockey chops. Uh, I used um, to play hockey as a kid. I played for the Ants, which was a team until I was about 15 and I left home. Now, you guys wouldn't imagine, but when I was growing up, we would go see hockey every weekend. Yeah. There were no nets. There were no helmets. There were no face guards. Nothing. You could have retired as a dentist in the NHL back then <laughs> in one year. <laughs> and and a lot of people don't realize this, but when the Ottawa Senators came into the league, yeah. you were one of the original owners. I was one of the original guys that got it launched. My hel- my friend Bruce McNall, who we all know from the Kings, uh, helped me with all of that. We brought the team to Ottawa, well-deserved, because that was one of the original hockey teams way, way back when. And um, they haven't done too well, obviously, through the years, but we'll see where it ends up. Eventually. Well, you, t- you bring up the Kings. It was funny because I know I texted you this, but I'm walking through the bowels of T-Mobile Arena last week, and I, I look up and I see someone texting on his phone. He's not looking up, and 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 I and I say, "Hey, Wayne, how you doing?" I, I just want to let you know my my uh, uncle said if I happen to run into you, and he never looked up. He just kept texting, and he goes, "Oh yeah, who's that?" And I said, "Paul Inka," and he looked. Uh, then he dropped the phone. He looked up. He was, "Oh, how's he doing? Great, you know." But I mean, just complete change of attitude and tune when he heard. And and of course, I texted you and said, "Hey, I ran into him," and he said to say hi. I so I have. I to go, ha- Willie. My a lot of respect. Excuse me. Yeah. I go way back back with him when he was a kid just starting out and the first girlfriend a guy that was up we were up all night till nine in the morning till he had to go play scared to death to fly i took him on his first private jet flight on a near jet white knuckled i mean you could have pried him out of that damn chair he was so scared (laughs) but i go way back with wayne and he's a hell of a guy great hockey player I'll give you a little trivia. Do you know why that he never curved his stick? I've heard this. Why? Why? Because he always shot backhand shots, and he didn't like the curved stick. Oh, you know what? Oh, wow. You texted me that. Yeah, I told you that. You texted Yeah. Once again, we are speaking with the legendary songwriter, entertainer, you name it. Las Vegas legend, Paul Anka, joining us here on Cofield & Company, ESPN Las Vegas. So... I was talking to someone earlier. She's been here all her life as well, uh, right, right around my age. She's actually general manager here at at, uh, at Lotus Broadcasting. And I was like, can you remember the Marina Hotel and that long brick wall down Tropicana? My uncle had a home there, Tropicana Golf Course behind it. And, of course, behind that on Harmon, Jubilation. Um, 
Uncle Paul, when you come to Las Vegas, when you do get out, you were last year for the Smith Center anniversary. They asked you to come in and do the show, PBS documentary. What are your thoughts when you see what this town has become? From or Let's start with the pro sports landscape and then just in general where your friend Steve Wynn ushered in the resort industry. I'll go back to Vegas to before you guys were born, obviously. 1958, I starred with Sophie Tucker. So I, I watched and grew up in that first phase of what Vegas was so admired for and was so de-placed destination-wise way, way back until the turn of it all, let's say when Steve Wynn started the real big chapter of it. There's a distinct change. You have to realize that the seeds and the rooting and the foundation of that town was by the, the boys, the mafia. Great bunch of people to work for. You were in a safe town. It was stylish. It was everything we purported to be to everyone all around the world. The, the camaraderie between all the acts from different hotels. Everything that you read about is all true. Now, when it started to evolve like the necessity of evolution in life and started to get into what became as the corporate world, there was a distinct change. We saw that. We saw how Steve changed it. We saw the aesthetics change. We saw the content of the town change. It's now... <laughs> an amazing business. It's a business unlike it was when the boys had it. You know, the fallacy was there were million do- millions of dollars floating around there, and there wasn't. You know, you'd go visit some of the counting rooms, as I did when they'd take me in. I was a young kid. They took care of me. I kept my nose clean. And you'd see just a few thousand dollars in those counting rooms. Today, you don't open those places without four Brinks <laughs> trucks pulling up and put them in the banks back there. <laughs> so what you got now is a Disneyland... You've got something that's so commercialized. You've got something so unlike what it was. You've got dress codes that are thrown out the window. All of that stuff that we see. Now, this isn't heavy judgment. I pass on it. It's what I'm telling you it is. And it is in terms of the hypocrisies that prevail. You know, years ago, I stuck through Vegas from the beginning all the way to I still go back. I'll be back next year. And all these acts that you see performing now, they wouldn't have gone near Vegas. They would criticize me, yeah. Wayne Newton, Sinatra. We will never go there. The stigma. <laughs> you know, all these young, arrogant acts and their managers. All of a sudden, they realized, and I'm feeding into what's changed, yeah. is now it's become the place to hang your hat. Now, why? Because everything in life is about not just the money, all about the money. So now you've got these acts that would never come near there. They would go on the road and maybe take home 20% profit, and they discovered Vegas, and they, they pay them, you know, it's all that craziness, and they're taking home 90% profit. So now they've discovered the Vegas, but they've never known Vegas for what it was. You see a lot of them talking and giving tribute to, oh, we love the old days. They don't know shit about the old days. <laughs> and they're walking in there, they're just, you know, hanging by their nails. So it's, it's changed into a real big, big business, but it, it lacks the style and the awareness of style that I knew I don't want to live back there. I've never lived my life like that. I live in the moment. But it's not the Vegas that I knew, and it's going to keep changing. You know, it's just the way it is. Paul Ank is with us. Do you still love writing songs? And when we played the song, you know, a different version of My Way, do you, do you still love it? Hey, is the Pope pray? <laughs> <laughs> of right. course I love it. Yeah. It's what I do. It's, yeah. what I'm, it's in my gene. I'm writing, you know, right now in the middle of my documentary, I'm, we're getting ready for a Broadway show. I've got my own podcast starting in a month. 
And I'm writing. I've got three albums that have been out. The last one I had uh, Michael Bublé and Buccelli singing with me on it. And you write. You don't stop writing. Picasso never, not that I'm as great as Picasso, God bless him, one of our great (laughs) painters. You know, you keep doing what you do, but your time is taken up in, you know, I've just got back from Asia. I was there for a month. I'm getting ready to go to Europe. You know, I've got obligations. I've got to get this documentary done. So do I have the time? No. Because any of us that started, from me to whomever back then, Neil Diamond and then Billy Joe, everybody, that's all you did. Seven days a week, you lived and breathed rock and roll and wrote and wrote and wrote. It ain't that anymore. You know, you go see the Stones, you love them from what it was. There's no new material flying out of there. It's all the old stuff. But I do write to answer your question. I had the last three Michael Jackson records uh, before he passed, and he rest. So I'm writing all the time. Yeah, I don't stop writing, but I do other things. What's uh, what's Asia for you? Like, what's your relationship with Asia? <laughs> <laughs> I've been going to Asia since 1958. Oh, there was wow. a ticker tape for me in Tokyo. Really? Had five records in the top ten, and I was living the life like you have no idea. I've been going back ever since. <laughs> okay. I had my own train when I started. So ultimately, that whole teen thing fades like it does for all of us. And all of a sudden, you grow up with a great demographic that have stayed loyal because of the nature of the music. Not just me. There's other other American artists that have left a footprint. But when I go there every year, so now they're not running around throwing their panties. They're hobbling in on canes and wheelchairs. (laughs) So the point I'm making is I love it over there because that society is unlike what we're trying to achieve here. We could learn so much from the country of Japan. The, the work ethic, the way those people are civilized, the unfortunate circumstances we were going through. So my love for Asia is the respect I give it, from down to Singapore, where I went all the way up to Tokyo, in terms of the people, how they conduct themselves, their lifestyle. That's something I'll never, ever give up. I continually going back. I'm going over to Italy to do a private concert for a bunch of people out of China, we're going to give the guy a birthday up in Italy at a lake. So oh. I'm, I'm well healed with those people. Nice. Once again, we're speaking with <laughs> Paul Aka. And, you know, and I'm sure one of those private parties, I know I, I years back before the pandemic, I, uh, there was a couple of uh, private parties you did down on the strip. And I went with you, escorted with you a couple of times. And at, at those are the funnest ones because it's a mini version of your show. You do your rendition of My Way. But what I think is fascinating, Uncle Paul, is, I mean, when I was a kid, obviously, and going with Jido, and by the way, listeners, that's my grandfather, right. um, Paul Inka's, uh father. I, I would, you, you get dressed up, you go to the dinner show, you were there for two weeks, and I could go home for the next two weeks on my little record player, play every one of your records, and redo your show. What I found fascinating at the Smith Center is you have a way of still, you've gone from delivering the same punchlines, you sing the songs, you still go in the audience, Sinatra sings, you now give all these renditions, but what I loved was it was a backroom conversation with you. Now you tell stories, you tell the tales, you tell stories that nobody knows. One of the stories, I know you've told it millions of times now, but for our listeners, Please tell us how My Way came to life. Well, you know, I'm hanging with the Rat Pack, Dean Martin, Sammy, Frank, everybody indigenous to the Sands Hotel. I'm this kid. I get lucky. I'm making money for the boys who control the industry, and then my dream's coming true. Because me and Darren and everybody, we're focused on what do we want to do next. We want to be like these guys, the Rat Pack. 
Mm. We couldn't see further. No one saw the technology change. So there I am in the middle of it. And I'm learning. I'm just watching. I'm learning. I'm eating it up. And through the inception of those years, you know, Frank would always tease me, but what are you going to write for me, kid? You know, I was a writer. Well, I, I was going to give him puppy love or one of those. He would have thrown me across the steam room. <laughs> so the years go by, and I'm getting a taste of it all, and I'm locking in, and everybody's, you know, cool with each other. I'm in Miami at the Fountain Blue Hotel, which was the hang place. And Sinatra's in town, and he asked me to go to dinner with him. And I go to dinner, and it was him and Mia Farrell and a group of people, the usual hang. And somewhere in the course of the meal, he said, Kid, which was you know my nickname, Sammy was Smokey the Bear, you know, Dean Martin was Vino. And he says, Kid, I'm retiring from show business. And uh, hmm. tired, and they're all over me, and the rat pack's over, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he said, I'm doing one more album with Costa. Well, Costa was my guy who found me when I was 15, and I introduced him to Frank, and he did a lot of work with him. He said, I'm doing one more album, when I'm quitting. Well, of course, you know, this is Frank Sinatra we're talking about, you know, not the Goomba Goomba. So I go back to New York where I'm living, and it's in my head, and I got this melody, and I'm sitting at a typewriter, which I, you know, I typed 70 words a minute because I took a journalism writing course in school. And um, I start saying to myself, Jesus, quit and show this, I'm going to do another album. And I metaphorically start typing, and now the end is near, etc. And I start writing it as if he were writing it. I'm using phrases I'd never normally, you know, put in a song. Huh. And I finish it at 5 in the morning. And I call him at Caesars. He was doing one of his last gigs. And I said, uh, sir, I got something I think you like. He said, bring it out. If I fly out, I get to his dressing room that night. I play it for him. He says, kid, I love it. I'm going to do it. Wow. Fade out, fade in. Two months later, I'm in New York, the apartment. I get a call. Frank Sinatra calling from Los Angeles. Yes, sir. Kid, listen to this. He takes the phone and he puts it up to a studio speaker. And I hear my way over the phone for the first time. I start crying. I couldn't fucking believe it. And that was it, man. I knew my life changed then and it changed for him. It was just unbelievable serious. Then, a couple of years later, I get a call. Coming back to show business. Okay. <laughs> and then we did, let me try again. Let me try again. Great guy, nobody like him. You know, everything you hear times a hundred. He was the best. He was just the guy. You know, what could you do? He walked in a room, and that was it. That was it. He just had that thing. Well, he was the best in your eyes, and I don't say this just because you're, you're my uncle, best. but you're you are, without a doubt, if you've never seen, when he comes back next year to Las Vegas, I oh, tell no. people all the time, he brings the same energy in 2023 that he did the first time I watched him in 1975 or six, whenever it was at the Caesars Palace. Uncle Paul, Paul Anka, I really appreciate you taking the time. You promised me when you got back. You promised me after the Stanley Cup. You promised me... That the Golden Knights were going to win. You said, I'm coming on your show. Thank you so much for taking some time. I know you're busy. I know you're filming and doing your documentary. So joining us on ESPN today. Hey, my pleasure, guys. And the big question is this, because I've watched hockey for years. With all the changing and firing and hiring going on, let's see what's going to happen next right, year. Right, exactly. <laughs> there he is, Paul Aka, joining us, Cofield & Company, ESPN Las Vegas. Thank you again. God, that was awesome. He is sharp as a tack. You know, I, I didn't get to go to the Smith show, Smith Center show. I was like, wow, he's good. Man, 
He's coming back. I got to see that. Yeah, you got. You're gonna have to. The go freaking over. stories. I mean, that the Sinatra story is dynamite. But he's that got was, so many stories. The way that he's he, written so many. You tell me all the time. Like yeah. he's written so many freaking songs. Yeah, and the way that he built the new show, the new tour, Sinatra sings. He front loads the the show with all not only the songs that he wrote for Sinatra did, but also. He does some of Sinatra songs. And I've Got You Under My Skin became one of my favorite Sinatra songs because of the way he does it. Miss any of the show? We've got you covered. Head to LVSportsNetwork.com and go to podcasts to listen to all of your favorite LV Sports Network shows anytime from any place. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. We'll have that whole conversation with uh, Paul Anka, who is related to Willie Ramirez. Paul's your uncle. Mom's big, brother. Big-time hockey fan. Great storyteller. I love throwing questions at guys. Where I was like, hey, you still, you know, you still like writing songs? And he's basically was like, what are you, a moron? <laughs> like, of course I do. Well, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just asking. I don't know. You might say, I've run out of material. He brought up the Michael Jackson. People don't realize is when he died and they found a bunch of music in his drawer, in his, in his coffers, if yeah. you will. They, before they went to publish it, they realized that it was a project that he had been working on with my uncle. And then he pulled out of it because he got angry. Was, they, they had sort of a fallen out. But my uncle had rights to that music. It was all sitting there on this sheet music and these lyrics and these vocals. So they had to go to him and get permission. So he gets royalty. So some of it, that's why the, the Drake duet with Michael Jackson on his last or two albums back. My uncle's, if you look on some of these, he's co-writer. And so he just, you know, agrees to it. You were telling me a great story during the break about Old Vegas. Because you mentioned when Paul Anka was on that... He was on Tropicana. He lived over on Tropicana. And I was right. like, well, how far back on Tropicana? And then you started describing it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, right on the corner of Trop and LV Boulevard. Right. No MGM. No. Just the, there was a marina hotel. And if I'm not mistaken, they, for archaic uh, purposes, they kept the marina. It's within and part of the architectural design of the MGM. But just past the marina, there was a long brick wall that stretched to Cobalt. And there was like 10 homes. And the, he, he on had that whole property. Yeah. The, he on had that the, MGM property. Yeah. That's crazy. He had the very first one. And then behind it was the Tropicana golf course, and it stretched all the way to Harmon. And at the Harmon, there was Jubilation, which was his discotheque, which he owned with, the, with an outfit out of Chicago. Outfit included a uh, former linebacker uh, from the Bears, Doug Buffone. The Carriage House, and at the top was Randy Kiefer's joint. It was a restaurant. So there wasn't a lot on Harmon. And across the street from that was the Aladdin Performing Arts Theater. Can you tell the eminent domain story or is that a, is that a private story? Eh, I think it's old now. Yeah. I mean, realistically. It's interesting. The, so, I mean, yeah, the, the, the county's trying the, to get the land. The county wanted the land. Of um, the MGM, of, right? Where, for, well, of all those homes. Right, they needed to right. buy them homes so they could right. break property, break right. construction. And they, so they were making offers on all the homes based on what, you know, the property and, and the value and so on and so forth. And my uncle was obviously the most prominent name in there, and he wasn't going... Who else was in there, though? Just residents. Oh, okay. Back in the 60s, Steve Wynn lived in there, right, okay. but he had already moved. So he was going to sell. The, they, they were waiting for him to sell, but he was holding out. Well, the county, or the residents, took advantage of that because the county figured, well, he's just trying to raise... And he didn't care about the money. Obviously, he didn't care about 
money. He has plenty of money. Right. He could buy all those homes in there. It helped that the other people had their – they were able to get more money out of it, but the real reason was they had, he had turned the master bedroom of that home into a actual hospital room for my grandfather who was on his last days. He mm. was waiting for the days where it was time to move him to a hospice because he didn't want him spending weeks upon weeks. He wanted him cared for in a comfortable setting. So he had a nurse. He turned his master bedroom of that home into a hospital room. He was cared for. And once my grandfather uh, moved on to the hospice and died peacefully at uh, Nathan Adelson, he went ahead and agreed to terms. But all the other people benefited from that. Crazy stuff, right? Yeah. House right there on Trop and LV Boulevard. You, right. you know, people who are new to the area can't even imagine residences being right up on LV Boulevard with all the mega resorts now. Right there. Pretty crazy. Yeah. In the back, real quick. Hand in there, Dave. So, big day on Thursday for, again, a little more family for uh, your buddy Lee Strother and his son Julian, who's a hometown hero. What do you think? You slip in the uh, the back of the first round? It's possible. I, there's something that tells me that that those the, the bottom of that round might not be fitting considering some of the teams, and they might be better suited with some of the better teams in the second round. Great job booking the show today. Paul Anka was on, Darren Millard was on earlier. Our regulars, Miles Simmons, Albert Hall joined us, and Sammy P. Good job, Ari, today. Thank you. Check the archives of the show at lvsportsnetwork.com and up on Facebook and Twitter for video.